Well, this morning we are in for a real treat when it comes to studying God's Word because of the text we're looking at and because of the Savior it presents. So if you have a Bible, you can look at Matthew chapter 8, so the 8th chapter of the Gospel according to Matthew, and it's just one of those texts. I mean, it's one of those historic, landmark, amazing, impresses you with Christ, draws you to Christ kind of texts. Uh, my favorite Matthew commentary, I've read it I don't know how many times, it's all beat up and tattered, it's taped, it's glued, and when I opened to the eighth chapter for chapter eight for this section, it said something like wonderful, or some, some word like that I don't remember, and I looked at it and smiled and I thought, I can't wait to study Matthew 8 again, and this morning I can't wait to preach Matthew 8, I can't wait to lead you in a guided tour through a whole lot of awesomeness, I guess I would have to say. Uh, sort of like when, when you experience something cool and you, you, you know your friends or family are going to like it and think it's cool too, whether it's a good restaurant or some great scenery or some great experience, something I love to do, right? You go to a different town, you go to a different city, you find a certain restaurant, I'm there by myself, and I think to myself, I can't wait to bring Molly here. It's going to be awesome. You're excited. and It's sort of like, get a load of this. You're going to love it. Well, this is that kind of text. And when Matthew says things like, behold... I think Matthew is, in our verbiage, in Pat Abendroth verbiage, is saying, get a load of this. This is awesome. When you see what Christ has done and you see who he is, you're going to be impressed. You're going to want to follow him. You're going to want to know more about who he is, about what he's done. You're going to want to know the rest of the story. It's one of those kind of passages. Well, I hope I haven't overhyped it. What do you think? I don't think I have. What we're going to do is we're going to highlight 12... Let's call them remarkable features. Twelve remarkable features or striking um, aspects or, or, or whatever you'd like to use. Things that are awesome about Christ that are meant to be seen in chapter 8 verses 1 to 17. And we're not going to pre-read it because we're already a little bit pushed for time and I don't want to rush it. Um, and so we're going to do all twelve. We'll go through the text uh, morsel by morsel enjoying all of the flavor as we go. Hope you're ready. Hope you're ready for lunch at least after all of that. So here we go. Number one, the first standout quality about Jesus is he possesses unique authority. He possesses unique authority. And we see it in verse one, sort of. Let me explain. Look at verse one with me if you would of Matthew 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, do you see authority in there? I hope you don't. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about authority. But it does say, when he comes down, great crowds are following him. And that actually tells me something about his authority. Because the verses that came just before this, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were baffled. The people were shocked. They were, they were amazed at Jesus. Because he spoke how? As one having authority not like the authority of their religious leaders. Jesus has this unique authority, and it's not a repelling authority. It's not authoritarianism. It's not tyrannical, the kind you want to run from. No, they heard him, and he was unique because he had unique authority, and it was good. They're drawn. It's the kind of authority you're drawn to. It's gracious. It's kind. It tells you the truth. It helps you. It leads you. It's, it, it, it's drawing all these people. And so we should know Jesus has unique authority. 
His authority, if you belong to Him by faith, is not against you. It's the kind of authority you're drawn toward. It's the kind of authority you like. He's going to take care of you. This is Messiah kind of stuff. The Messiah will provide for His people. He will protect His people. He will save His people. Well, the Messiah has unique authority and it draws us in. We like it. It sets us free. And I hope you see that here about Jesus as we continue working our way through this. It's where we go for real answers. They're going to go to Him for real answers. It's where we would want to go as well. Second standout quality is He's not afraid. He's not afraid. In verse 2 it says, And behold... Again, in Pat language, that's get a load of this. This is amazing. You're really you're going to want to note this. And behold, a leper came to him. And I wrote in my margin, no, a leper coming to you? I wrote in my margin, what? What you do when a leper comes after you, first service I said leopard, and I, so I had to say play dead, or is it look big and tall, or was that with bears? I don't remember, but not leopard, when a leper comes to you. A leper approaching means you want to get away. They're carrying some kind of disease, okay? Skin disease. Some of the kinds of leprosy back in this time was highly contagious. So you had to live in your own colony with your own people, separate from the the, the ordinary people, separate from the other Jews, even if you're Jewish. So if a leper comes... You want to get away, right? Radical social distancing is what it is, okay? To the point where they were obligated to cover their mouth and to say, unclean, unclean, so that you wouldn't perhaps catch what they had. That's Leviticus uh, chapter 13, verse 45. They have to cry, unclean, unclean. Uh, they have to live alone outside the camp in their own little colony. Well, Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid of this leper. Notice what he says, or notice what he says in this account in verse two. And knelt before him, the leper does, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So Jesus isn't afraid. He lets the man approach. And there's only one reason why Jesus shouldn't be afraid. And don't miss this. In light of the whole narrative of Matthew's gospel account, he's not afraid because he indeed is the true, genuine, starts with an M, Messiah. He's the Messiah. If he's anyone other than the Messiah, he needs to run. But he doesn't run. He's not afraid because he's the one who's the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to bring healing, restoration, provision, temporarily in this case to prove he's the Messiah, but in an ultimate sense, in eternity. In Malachi chapter 4, I think it's in verse 2, it talks about the sun of righteousness, uh, the S-U-N sun. It's grand, it's bright, it's powerful, but it's actually a messianic prophecy. The sun of righteousness, and it brings healing, healing in its wings. Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. This man knows something about that or he wouldn't have been drawn in like this. Another standout quality, number three on our list, is that he is willing. He is willing. How about verse three where it says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Yes, a leper. He, he, he reached out his hand and touched him saying, 
I will be clean. Sometimes people have the power, the means to do significant things. Jesus has the power. Jesus has the means to do significant things. And we can be thankful that he's willing. He's willing to help. Right? He doesn't have great power for himself, although he is powerful in and of himself, but he is kind and gracious. Jesus is willing. And and this is important for you to know. It's important for me to know. But what about, what, what about my, what? We have to know Jesus is willing to help. Uh, It reminds me of chapter 11 where Jesus says, come to me, right? He's willing. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. It's good for us to remember. Yes, power, might, willing. And you might guess where we're going next. What we're going to next is number four, the next standout quality, he is able. He is able. In verse three, it says, if we continue moving on, and immediately, great action word from Matthew, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You're meant to be impressed. You're meant to to, to join Matthew and say, behold, get a load of that. This is amazing. It's one thing to, to want good things for people. I want good things for people, especially people I know and care for and love, and I don't want them to be in pain, and I don't want them to be suffering, and I, and I would take it away if I could, right? We all have that understanding within us. But Jesus is not only willing, Jesus is able to the point where supernaturally, only he has this power, immediately done. It's meant for us to say, that's cool. That's extraordinary. That's that's not normal. That's distinct. It's extraordinary, one of my favorite words. Immediately, he does this. It reminds me of what it says in Isaiah 63 in verse 1 at the end. Messianic prophecy again. It is I speaking in righteousness. The Messiah says, I love these last words. Mighty to save. Not just willing, able, mighty to save. If you're trusting in Jesus, you are not an idiot. I mean, you, that, that's in the white spaces of Matthew chapter 8, right? This, this is an apologetic. This is a defense, okay? He, he's giving the historical narrative to, to encourage you. If you're a pers- person who's trusting in Christ, you're not an idiot, you, okay? If you're not trusting in Christ, I won't finish the sentence. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your praise. Extraordinary. Mighty to save. And if we were to think about the trajectory, cool word, if we were to think about where where this is aimed and where it's going to land and where it's going to hit, where this is going is ultimate mighty to save because he is headed to the cross and he is headed to being raised from the dead. And he's going to be raised from the dead on behalf of everyone who will ever trust in him, therefore guaranteed resurrection for you if you trust in him. Mighty to save. This is a preview of coming attractions. The trajectory is going from, this is great, but it's going to be greater. Exciting. I'm a preacher, I think, because I couldn't sit there like you're sitting there. 
I mean, God bless you for sitting there. I'm really thankful. Thank you for not being a distraction. Thank you for being good listeners and eager. But if I were sitting there, they would, the security would escort me out. <laughs> I mean, in so many ways, I want to say it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, it does because of the tra- trajectory. <laughs> but we're meant to have a whoa kind of moment. This is, this is not normal. This is out of the ordinary. Let's move on to number five, the next standout quality regarding Jesus that I hope causes you to trust in him and to worship him and live for his honor and glory. Number five, he likes Moses. He likes Moses. How about verse four? And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. He's not a very good listener, we learn from the other gospel accounts. Probably he's saying this because of timing, popularity, misunderstanding. But don't say anything to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest. Quite a journey, by the way, to go to Jerusalem from where he is. Go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. He likes Moses. He likes priests. I'm making the point because too often, too, too many times, we want to have you know, oil and water, incompatibility. You know, Moses bad, Jesus good, right? Or, or some, some, no. Je- Jesus is fully respectful of Moses. He's fully respectful of the law. He's fully respectful of the priesthood and the temple and the sacrifices and atonement. He, 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 he's playing well with others, if you will. Okay? Now, we don't have priests anymore because he's the ultimate priest because of what he's going to do, okay? We, we, we don't have temple anymore because he's the temple because of what he's going to do. But let's make sure we understand it's not like uh, they're incompatible. Remember, we've been hearing fulfillment talk all along, chapter 3, chapter 5. He didn't come to abolish but to fulfill, okay? He, he's not anti-Moses. In, in fact, I mean, think of the typology, big fancy word when it comes to interpretation, uh, but important. Um, think of... Moses, the man of God on the mount. And now we have Jesus, the man of God on the mount. There's a, there's a notable, on-purpose kind of parallel arguing from the lesser to the greater. You've got the shadows and the types. And now we have the substance that belongs to Christ, to borrow from the Apostle Paul. It's all part of a plan. It's not plan B either. This is how it was meant to be, leading up to Him. He's the one! He likes Moses! He likes him. He's the ultimate Moses, if you will. Fulfillment. This is progressing. And sometimes in theology we talk about progressive revelation. It's building, culminating, apex, high point, always designed to have Christ be the center of it all. Fulfilled in Him. It's impressive. It's very impressive. Do what Leviticus 14 says. Standout quality, the next one, number six. Number six, he draws Gentiles. He draws Gentiles. And boys and girls, I don't mean with crayons. You can draw Gentiles now if you'd like to. It's fine. I'm not sure what that's going to... I'm a Gentile, so you can draw me. In the Bible, what I mean by draws, in a, I mean in, in a theological sense. He, like, magnet, like a magnet would draw something metal. He's drawing people to himself. Right? Bringing them close. Bringing them in. Drawing them to himself is what I mean. Drawing them in. Okay? Gentiles, if you're new to the Bible or you've never thought about it before, um, are those who are not Jews. 
So in the Bible, there are two kinds of people. There are Jews and Gentiles, okay? Gentiles are sometimes referred to in the Bible as the nations. Sometimes the world is, re- is what, uh, how the Gentiles are described. But the idea here is Jesus, who is a Jew, is not only the Savior of the Jews, He's the Savior of the Jews and Gentiles. He's the Savior of the world, and He's going to draw Gentiles in in an amazing way. And this is important for you if you're not a Jew, by the way. How about verse 5? When He had entered Capernaum, one of the cities on the Sea of Galilee up in the north, a centurion came forward to Him, appealing to Him. A centurion, originally there, it was, okay, Roman military under Herod, Roman military under Herod Antipas, originally because they were in charge of a hundred troops. And then it came to be more generic, but it's a status kind of thing. It's like a ranking kind of thing. A significant Roman military officer with power, okay? We know that's the case. Some say he would be on par with what we would consider a captain. But when we see here a centurion, okay, Roman military official, what you should be thinking at worst is hostility. At best, antagonism. I mean, so think about the the Romans are, are not known for being big promoters of Yahweh, the one true and living God, okay? If anything, at best, they're known for looking down their Italian noses at the Jews, But notice what comes. Notice what comes in verse 6. Lord, from the centurion to the Jew born in Bethlehem, Lord. Now, it may not carry the full weight. That word can refer to deity. It can can just be a formal address like sir. But based upon what he's going to go on to say, If it's just sir, it's a pretty big sir. Okay? It's a respect for his authority. We're going to see it. I promise you. I'm not reading too much into it. It's a big deal for the centurion to say to Jesus, Lord, I mean, the plot is thickening. This is meant to be a get a load of this kind of moment. I can't wait to show you this. Lord, my servant, verse 6 says, is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. So he's willing again. Repetition there. And then for something really fascinating. How about verse 8? Look there with me if you would. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy. Oh, so see, we should at least make it more than a polite sir. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Is he lying? He's not lying. That, that's actually a true statement. And because we know who, who Jesus really is. But he's being drawn. He's seeing Jesus for, for, for who he is, to one degree or another. I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house. Which, which, is, which is counterintuitive. A centurion talking to Jesus of Nazareth. This is great. But only say the word, and my servant will be healed. Verse 9, how about this? For I too am a man under authority. He's saying, I, I, I understand. I understand how authority works. Let me tell you. I totally get how authority works. And based upon what I know about you 
And what I know about how authority works, I wasn't born yesterday. All you have to do is say it. Let's keep reading. It's great. With soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. This is just cool providence. This is great. I say things and it happens. Okay, verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you with no one in Israel have I found such faith. First thing is that's a, that's a point of contrast that's going to be controversial. I mean, the, the, the Israelites are supposed to be the men and women of faith who trust God. And he's saying, in all of Israel, I haven't seen such faith from a Roman soldier, Gentile, spiritually unclean otherwise. And you go, whoa. This guy gets it. Such faith. This man understands. He understands. Here's what Jesus is saying. He, this man understands who I am. Like nobody's understood who I am. This guy gets it. He totally gets it. Now, if you are new to Christianity or you're not a Christian, you, you have to understand something here um, that's really important. And if you are a Christian, you should understand something that's really important too so you can help other people who don't understand Christianity. Jesus is commending this man for his faith. Why? He's commending this man for his faith because this man gets it. He understands who Jesus is. Jesus is not saying, oh, you are so wonderful in and of yourself. You are a man of faith. He's not doing that. That would be taking out of its context, but that's how people hear you. Okay? He's not saying, you have such faith in faith. You're a good person. He's not doing that. Context, context, context. He's not seen such faith. Faith means trust. This guy has come to see Jesus as one who has unique, extraordinary authority, and he knows how authority works. All you have to do, based upon what I've seen you do and what I know you to have done in time and space, all you have to do is say the words and it'll be done. He gets it. He has faith in Christ to bring deliverance. It's really amazing. It's really, really, really amazing. Commend this man for his faith, but he would tell you, I'm resting in him. Let's move on to another standout quality. I hope you're having fun. I'm having fun along the way. It just doesn't quite get any better than this kind of text to have us look to Christ. Number seven, uh, he's not afraid of offending. He's not afraid of offending. In other words, he's not a politician. He's not looking for everyone's vote. He's speaking the truth. Verse 11 says, I tell you, many will come from east and west. That would be from all over. That's, that's shorthand from the land of the Gentiles, outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel. Many will come from east and west. That fits our context. And recline at table. That's a way of saying they belong. They can rest. They're not afraid. They're part of the family. Uh, again, they're comfortable. It's where they should be. It's a welcome place. They, they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. The big three, right? The trifecta of patriarchs when it comes to, to Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob... The big guns, the celebrities, if you will. And here he's saying, there are going to be many people who come from all over this place. Gentiles. And they're going to be at the table. They're going to be there lounging, comfortable, 
part of the family, letting their hair down, down, however you want to say it. You get the idea. They belong there. Which is great if you're a Gentile. And most of you are. We can be a part of that in the kingdom of heaven. This is all positive. And he's not saying there won't be any Jews because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But you also have many Gentiles. How about verse 12? Here's where it gets offensive. While the sons of the kingdom, those who should be there, those who belong because of heritage, because their last name is Abrahamson, Jacobson, get the idea. They're related to the right people. They think they're in. Think about Matthew chapter 7. Will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's controversial. I think it's true because Jesus says it. But Jesus at this point in time is not trying to win friends and influence people. He's not trying to get reelected. He's just speaking the truth. And by the way, if we look at this on the, on the grander scale, it's because you need to trust in me, Jesus is saying. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, if you trust in me, you'll have a seat at the table and you'll be part of the family. But if you don't, it doesn't matter what your last name is. You're going to get what you deserve, which isn't good. So let's keep that in mind. I guess I want to ask you at this point in time, is this new? Is, it, is, this a, is this a new truth that Jesus is springing on them? You know, you know what? The kingdom is not only for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. Is this a plan B? Is this, a, is this out of nowhere? Didn't see that coming. Is this a parenthesis or something? If you know what I'm talking about, you'll laugh inside. If you don't, you don't need to laugh. This isn't new. The Apostle Paul will go on to say in Galatians... This is how it's been planned from the beginning. But that's moving forward. That sounds new. The Apostle Paul in Galatians is quoting what? Genesis 12. This is how it's supposed to have been. This is the plan all along. In the kingdom, Jews and Gentiles. It's how it's always been for the Messiah to be the Savior of the world, the one and only Savior. Galatians 3.8 says, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations, huh, Gentiles, be blessed. And that's a quotation from Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Pretty fascinating. Jesus is on the scene. Yes, he's being offensive, but it's not because there's been a change of plans. In fact, he's reminding them about the plan the way it's always been intended. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to number eight. Next standout quality, number eight, is he is not a phony. He is not a phony. I confess to you, I just like the word phony, um, but it actually is a good one for fake, somebody who's pretending. Verse 13 says, And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed he doesn't use the word immediately. He uses a synonym with four words at that very moment. It's awesome. It means immediately, right? He's not a phony. He's not a faker. 
He's not a sham. He's, he's not the one who says, well, uh, you're healed and maybe over the next however many days you might get better if you have enough faith. Right? I'm using great self-control to not name names. To not name names of the absolute ridiculous, lying, bald-faced liars in the name of Jesus, even in our own city. Jesus is the one and only Messiah and He says, it's done and it is done immediately. And it makes sense that this is unique because all of these other fat cats asking for your money aren't the Messiah. There's only one. There's only one who will rule and reign forever and ever. There's only one who's gracious and won't try to scam you out of your cash. Okay? He's the one who speaks not like the other ones. He speaks with authority, but it's not authoritarian. It's the kind you want where he's going to tell you the truth and provide for you. I plead with you to look to Christ and not to some other faker McFakervilles. Phony McPhonyvilles. I'm thinking of bad words and I'm trying to make up words that aren't so bad. God help me. If we would just look, he and he alone is the one who's capable, able, qualified. Don't be duped. Remember, remember earlier, he says you'll know them by their fruits, their output. I'm going to take that and borrow from it. He used it in a negative way. Lord, forgive me if I shouldn't do this. But I'm going to use it in a positive way. You'll, you'll know him by his fruits. He didn't make claims that weren't authenticated in real time and real space, proven to be so. Ultimate trajectory. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And he did it. Trust in Christ. We're going to move on to number nine. Number nine, next standout quality is he is compassionate. We'll do this one rather quickly. He is compassionate. Before we actually get to that text, regarding the centurion, if this were a different sermon at a different time and we were talking about different issues, I would at least use that text and say, notice what Jesus doesn't tell him. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, now stop being a centurion and go find a Christian employer. Just something to think about. Okay? There we get into issues of conscience and what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with. I'm not saying you should have been a centurion. Yeah. But those kind of texts are relevant and they're not, that's not the only one we find in the New Testament. We live in Babylon and it's complicated to live in Babylon. Okay? This is not the eternal kingdom. We're waiting for that. We know who the king is. We're experiencing benefits now, but this is not heaven yet. So just keep it in mind. So I won't mention that, but I would if this was a different sermon. Standout quality number nine, he's compassionate. Peter's mother-in-law is on the scene. Verse 14, we'll do this one quickly. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. I won't insult your intelligence and point out to you that in order to have a mother-in-law, you have to be married. And that 1 Timothy chapter 4 says, false teachers forbid marriage between men and women. Okay, I won't mention that. I'll mention that in a different sermon, okay? Let's go back and do it right. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and he rose and began to serve him. And she rose and began to serve him. It's a great text. I apologize for not giving it more attention and more time. It's a great text. 
Jesus has the power. Jesus has the ability. Jesus is willing and he's compassionate. It's why, it's why we trust in him for everything, ultimately. He's that kind of savior. He's that kind of savior. It's a great picture too, even though this is a, a temporary physical healing. It's a great picture though what happens when God spiritually heals us, when he saves us, he delivers us. We're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by serving Christ, but we serve because we're saved by Christ. So he rescues her. Temporary picture, I know. What does she do? She serves him. Gratitude, response, right response. So when God delivers us, ultimately, the right response, gratitude, how can I serve Christ? How can I show my love for such an amazing, compassionate, powerful, willing Savior? Number 10, next standout quality. Number 10, he's recognizable. He is recognizable. Verse 16 says, that evening they brought to him. And I'm going to underscore that, emphasize it. I circled it. I highlighted it. I underlined it. They brought to him. They didn't bring to others. They didn't bring to many different kinds of deliverers. No, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. So we have the many, the all of the many were healed and they brought them to him. Okay. I want to point out to you that he's recognizable. Do I know everything there is to know about Jesus? No. Do you know everything there is to know about Jesus? Surely not. But Jesus made himself so known, so recognizable that they were going to him. All of the people, they're going to him, they're going to him, they're going to him. They're not going to him as one among many options. They're going to him because they know he can do it. Not only does he have the power, he's willing, and he's, he's a recognizable savior. He's the one. He's the one. Remember when Jesus talked about false prophets? Again, you'll know them by their fruits. They're recognizable. Maybe you don't know it at first, but you should know enough to know that's a false prophet if it's a false prophet. Well, conversely, positively, flip side of the positive coin, they recognized who he was. Okay? He wasn't this weird kind of, you know, backwoodsy, didn't talk much, you know, kept to himself, uh, strong, silent type. Was he? Wasn't he? Hmm. Don't know. Your truth, my truth. No, it wasn't that. He was patently, verifiably, objectively, historically recognizable. If you need help, you go to him. It was true then. I would say it's true now. If you need help, there's plenty to go on that you're not an idiot if you go to him. You're wise. Look to him. Let's go to number 11. We have 12 of these. The next standout quality, number 11, he is the true and better Adam. He is the true and better Adam. Taken from that lyric, from that song we sing sometimes, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. We sing the lyric, See the true and better Adam. Well, I'm borrowing from that lyric. He's the true and better Adam. If you will, Matthew is saying, get a load of this, see the true and better Adam. Why would I say that? 
according to our text. Well, in verse 16, we already looked at it, but we'll look at it again. They brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. That tells me Jesus, true and better Adam. Some of you have the look on your face. You you know the dots I'm connecting. Some of you are like, I don't know the dots you're connecting. Some of you think, say what? (laughs) True and better Adam? Well, to borrow from the Apostle Paul, we have there are two Adams, two ultimate Adams, two two official representatives of the human race. Adam number one we know about, and Jesus, according to Matthew or Romans chapter five, is the last Adam. Okay, or, or he's the he, he's the next Adam. First Corinthians fifteen, last Adam. Two. God deals with the human race through the two. In the garden, when the serpent came, the demonic serpent, Satan came, Adam who was to have dominion over, should have driven the serpent out. He should have stomped on the serpent's head. Okay, He shouldn't have passively submitted to his authority. It wasn't how it was supposed to be. And it's why we are where we are, quite honestly. The true and better Adam isn't indifferent to demonic spirits. He certainly doesn't submit to demonic spirits. He is actively opposed and drives them out. Yes, this is on a trajectory, but it's the right trajectory. It gives evidence, indeed, he's the one. He's the true and better Adam who won't take anything from Satan or his minions. In 1 Corinthians 16, it's an amazing thing. It talks about how we, believers who are united to Christ by faith, are waiting for that day soon when we too will stomp on the serpent's head. And it's a guaranteed fact if you're united to Christ by faith because he has already done it. It's great. It's great to see. He's going to take care of business. This is a preview of coming attractions. He says to the demons, scram, be gone. I'm in charge I'm the Messiah. You are a repressor or a repressor of my people. It's great. Okay, finally, next standout quality. This is the culmination, number 12. This is the high point in verse 17. It is, he is Jesus, comma, the Christ. He is Jesus, comma, the Christ. This, this is a great place to end. High point, verse 17 says, this was... These events, these things we've just seen, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah... This is Isaiah 53, the text we know if we've been Christians longer than like five minutes. This is, this is a quote. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. There, there, there you have it. All of this is part of the plan. All of this is to bring fulfillment. Now, we know there's more involved in bringing fulfillment. We know that Isaiah 53 has all kinds of things, substitutionary atonement, justification, healing, glorification, the whole ball of wax. Our redemption is, is, is there and it's talked about, but part of our redemption is being set free from suffering, set free from pain. It is being healed. Okay? This is to fulfill that. In other words, he's the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the ultimate faithful son. He's the one who you can trust. He's the one you should trust. 
He brings the fulfillment. Really is good. Really is fascinating. It reminds me of the text that we always go back to every week. I try to make a habit of it. When it says, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That's messianic. He will deliver, save his people, those he represents, from their sins and all of its effects and all the adversities that have come as a result of the fall. He's true to his namesake. He's the one, not an empty professor, not a false teacher, but the one who's willing and able, and he does it. So I just, I, I, I urge you, I invite you, I push you, I exhort you, I lovingly coax you. How, how? Get a load of this. Behold the Messiah, the Deliverer, the one you want to be trusting in. And if you're trusting in Him, you want to serve Him out of gratitude. He's worthy. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for Omaha Bible Church. We are weak and frail and in need of a great Savior. We're thankful that we can look to Christ. Please encourage us in all of our different kinds of sufferings and difficulties. Encourage us that Christ the Lord has ultimately defeated Satan and he has defeated the grave and death and suffering. And we look forward to seeing him and being made like him according to your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.